Well, it's always great to see you in worship today. We love to worship the Lord. If you're a guest, uh, my name's David, and I'm the pastor, and so we're just thankful you're here worshiping with us. You know, I'm a kind of a logical guy. I like things to make sense. Some things in life don't make sense. Maybe you've noticed that too. I have. I've noticed me. You know, Jeremy, like when you're driving and you're trying to find a house or an address, you know what doesn't make sense? Why do you turn the radio down? Does that helpfully help you find your location? I don't know. You ever wonder, this doesn't make sense at all, why Hawaii has an interstate highway? <laughs> what other state is it going to, you know? Do you ever, you ever think maybe the word monosyllabic could be a different word? That doesn't make sense at all. Maybe you don't know what monosyllabic is. <laughs> so that's probably the problem there. <laughs> Brief, you know. And this is the thing that always gets me, how it doesn't make sense at all. Why doctors and lawyers, you can't see a doctor or a lawyer without charging you, you know, like every, a pound of flesh just, just to see them. Why do they call what they do practice? You know, can, <laughs> couldn't they be better at it and, and for that kind of problem? You know, you just one of these things. Think, we want things to make sense. Things just to kind of come together. And, uh, and, and this is kind of what we're talking about in the month of January. You're trying to make sense of life. And began last week by saying, you know, oftentimes we want to make sense of life. It's we ask the question why, but it's really the wrong question. The question should be the question who. Who do you turn to? And you turn to God. And the reason you turn to God is the reason we have this series. He's the one who makes sense of it all. I mean, God is the one who makes sense of everything. We began last week by saying he is the one who is holy. We have a holy God. And the word holy carries the idea of being separate, separate unto himself, complete unto himself. And so God is complete. He is holy. He is separate from the common, from the world he created. And because he is holy, we are not holy in our sinfulness. And so we, we, we looked at the holiness of God. And today, understanding the, that very basic characteristic of God, we, we are going to come then to the second message we have, which is the one who reveals. We're going to look at the God who reveals himself to us. And I'm going to be looking at two verses in particular, the book of Romans, verse 19 and 20. But I'm going to read to you, we're going to read from Romans 1, verse 16 through verse 23, that, that context is there is important. And so here's, here's what it says. For I am, this is Paul, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous one will live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, being understood by what has been made, so they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their reasonings, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and, and this is the important part, they exchanged the glory, the holiness of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible mankind, of birds, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. So the thing that I want you to see from the message today is really simple. God reveals himself to us. For life to make sense, I need to understand the significance of revelation. For life to really make sense, I need to understand the significance of the importance of that revelation of God to me. And so we're going to begin the message today by saying that, uh, that deep down we know something, right? 
In all of our lives, deep down, we, we know something. And what we know really is there is a God. We know that. There's, there is something out there. If I was to just erase all the spiritual knowledge that I have and, and walk out of the doors of the auditorium and walk out onto the patio and look out there and I would see the Oregon Mountains and I would see the desert and I would see the homes that are being built and the homes that already exist. But I would look in the mountains and I would say, I know in all their majesty and all their glory, I know that there is someone or, if not, or something, there is something that made all that happen. I mean, everything I know about my experience is that everything that, that has existed in our, in our world was caused by something. I look at the houses, someone built them. I'm to watch houses being built. I look at the road, you know, knowing someone built the road. I look at my body, you know, that someone made that happen. And so I understand deep, deep down as I look at those mountains that somehow, some way, there was someone who caused those mountains to come into existence. I know from inside me, just from the way I reason, the way I think, and the way I contemplate life, there is something beyond me. There is someone beyond me who made me with all these attributes that I think about, my self-awareness, my ability to reason. That, that's by design. That's by creation. I know that. And I know as I interact with people, and there are some people, you know, that I'm attracted to and some people that I'm, I'm repulsed by. And some people are attracted to me, some people are repulsed by me. And, we, and, and people we are attracted to, we tend to gather together. And in our group, in our social setting, there, there's norms, there's things that are acceptable, things that are unacceptable. That, that's just all part of it. And if you break the norms, there's something wrong. You know that. Because there's something within us. And I take this journey in my life to try to find who it is that's outside beyond me. Who is the one that put all of that there? I search, but I search in futility until, until that someone chooses on his own accord to reveal that information to me. To say to me, David, here is the information you're looking for. We call that revelation. Now, I use the word revelation. I use different terms. And so... I'm going to do this. Last week, I gave you homework. You know, I kind of felt bad. Some of you griped about the homework. I had people, you know, texting me this week, griping that they had homework. Some of them finished it. You know, that's good. I'm proud. You know, I got you. I'm going to say this to the one, some of you as adults, reading the passages I gave you, I read first, second Amos, the rest of, of, uh, of uh, Isaiah chapter six, reading it in a children's Bible was not really what I had in mind. I hope you read in a better Bible. I don't want to mention anybody's name because I don't want to embarrass their wife, Dama. But I mean, just say this. <laughs> Don't you look at him, because you read yours in a pop-up, so I don't want to hear about that. Some of us guys are turning 60 this year, and, and they look, a couple of those guys, we're all turning 60 about the same time, they look like they're turning 60, I guarantee you that. I feel bad for them, I'm embarrassed to be around them, I look so much younger. So, I'm, oh, I'm going to give you definitions. I always hated it when I was in class, you know, in college, and seminary, they gave you definitions, and you had to write them down, because you knew they would be on a test. Yeah, well, end of, the, end of the month, there's a test. You need to get these <laughs> definitions. The first is revelation. I can know something about God because God makes himself known. And I only know what he reveals here. I can know something about God because he reveals himself to me. And the only thing I can know about God is what he reveals. That is the essence of revelation. And there are different types of revelation. And one of those types of revelation is what we call general or natural revelation. And general and natural revelation is simply this. It is the general knowledge, the general knowledge you have about God 
is from nature and his image within me. So I can look at nature and I can know something very general, not specific. From within me, I know something general, not really specific. That's really what we're going to look at in verses 19 and 20 today. But there is something specific about God or special revelation. And specific revelation is this. It's the specific knowledge I have about God. It's from Scripture and ultimately Jesus in the Scripture. If I want to know something specifically about God, he's revealed that to me. He revealed it to me in what we call the Bible. And ultimately, it's revealed in Jesus. Now, that process of being revealed in the Bible, ultimately in Jesus, is what we call progressive revelation. And progressive revelation, this is the last definition, I promise you, is this. Through Scripture, God gradually and increasingly makes himself known, finally and completely in Jesus. So if you start in the book of Genesis, you, you know something about God. He created and you know he created an order, and later on you'll know more things. And if, and, and if you just read the Old Testament, you know something, but it's limited until you come to the, the Gospels. And then all this clarity comes, because then you realize the revelation of God that is ultimate, that is final, that is complete. Jesus ends the revelation of God. All we need to know about God is right there in Jesus. Now, I tell you that because we come, I want you to understand, because we come to a passage, Paul Paul wrote the book of Romans to a church he'd never been to before in about the mid-50s. And he was introducing himself, and he says, I am a servant. He begins, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus. And, and then in verse 16, he lays out just, just his, his whole message, basically. It's about the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. The gospel is the power of God for salvation, period. And then he explains why the gospel of Jesus is necessary. In verse 18, it says, it's necessary because of the wrath of God, because of the judgment of God. The holy God is bringing judgment upon sinful man. Why? Because of all the ungodliness and wickedness or unrighteousness of man. We are ungodly. We sin against God. We're wicked. We sin against one another. We have that sin because we have suppressed the truth about God. So we know stuff about God. And because we know stuff about God, we're held accountable. So, you know, the first thing I want you to see is, is, is deep down we know something. The second thing I want you to see, though, is this. We know something about God. Even without the Bible, we know at least something about God, which brings us then to verse 19. Since what may be known about God is, get this, plain to them because God has made it plain to them. So there is something that we can know about God that is plain because God has made it plain. The word know comes from the basic word of knowledge, just a general word of knowledge. Knowledge, it's about God. It's plain. It's clear. It's clear as can be. It's indisputable. Why? Because God made it plain. That's what I was talking about when I said, when I look out and I see a mountain and I'm saying, eh, somebody made that. When I, I realize I can reason and I can contemplate myself about myself and my existence in the world. Why? I, I know there's a God who made that possible. And so all of that is plain. But here's the, the kicker in verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, having clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, men are without excuse. Since the creation of the world, since God created everything, before man even existed, when he created and there was no man, if there was just stuff that he made, his 
qualities, his invisible qualities, his character, his nature, who he is, was already evident in his creation. He designed creation so that it was evident. And there are two things in particular Paul said was evident. His power, which is eternal. His nature, which is divine. I know it took power to create those mountains. I know it took power. It took an unbelievable power to make that. Someone, something had the power to do that. Someone, some, something had the power to create this unbelievably vast universe with gazillions of stars and gazillions and gazillions of everything. Someone had to make that. It took power. And if there was a power that existed before everything else existed, that power is by nature and definition eternal. It is without age. It's not just that it's a power, but there was a nature to it. There was a there way of understanding it. There are qualities. Those qualities are divine or they're deity or they're godlike. That's why in a few verses, Paul says to the people of Rome that everyone is accountable because they have taken this power and this divine nature they know exists, God who is above his creation and has taken creation and broken off pits of, pieces of it, rocks and pieces of wood, and have worshipped the thing that was created instead of the creator. And because of that, everyone is guilty of sin. Not only that, he'll go on to start talking about how we have taken the moral order and twisted and perverted it so that we are without excuse. Paul makes it clear in chapter 1, we are accountable, everyone, not because of Jesus, but because we have knowledge about God that we have corrupted and rebelled against and sinned. So he says, it's clear and we understood and we are without excuse. All of us. Just because of general revelation. General revelation he's talking about. Hadn't even gotten the specific part, which is what the book of Romans is all about. This re remedy to our sinning against general revelation is the special revelation that comes in Jesus. If, uh, well, back in 1969, uh, we went to the moon. America, man, man, we, mankind went to the moon. Americans were there. And America got there. We planted a flag. The American flag. Because we were the first ones there. Now, what would have happened if when they planted an American flag, they kind of looked the other behind them and they saw another flag. It was red with gold symbols, and those gold symbols were a hammer and a sickle. Now, some of you know what that flag symbolizes, the USSR. Some of you don't know what the USSR is. It's what you call Russia today. But once upon a time, before it fell, this communist nation was known as the USSR. They just seen that flag. They said, wait a minute. They would have understood somebody would have beat them there. They'd have called back to Houston and said, Houston, we got a problem. If somebody beat us here, there's a, there's a Russian flag there. And Houston would have said, it ain't possible, man. I mean, we, we know everything there is to know. We have satellites. We have radar. Ain't no rocket left Russia to go to the moon. We didn't know. Russians would have told us about it. They said, well, you may not have any evidence, but we're looking at it. There is a flag here. And if the Russians didn't put it, someone else did. Somebody beat us here. There was unbelievable, ample evidence for that to be true. The evidence is overwhelming. The evidence that God has revealed himself to us is overwhelming. A holy God is a revealing God. And we can know something about him, ultimately, in Jesus. Ultimately, Jesus tells us all we need to do about God. And that's what the book of Romans is about. 
about us knowing about Jesus, who is the solution to the problem of our sin. When Paul talks about our ungodliness and our unrighteousness, and Paul in Romans 3 says all have sinned and fall short of the glory, the holiness of God, the solution to that is Jesus. Which is why he says God showed his great love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Which is why he writes, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. You'll be saved with your heart and believe and are justified with your mouth. You confess and are saved. Jesus is the answer. So here is the thing so far. Deep down we know something is out there. We know there's something. And, and we know that something is God. We know something about God. And then the third thing I want you to say, see is this, we know enough. What we know about God is absolutely enough. And what we know about God and Jesus is enough. So I'm going to talk to you about this revelation. And here's what I want you to see first of all. That revelation means that a holy God, a holy God communicates to us. It's amazing. That even in our sin, even in our rebellion, even in our rejection, that God chooses to communicate to us. In the book of Revelation, the, very, the book of Genesis, sorry, at the very beginning, we, we see that God created man to have a relationship with him. And then we see that God created man to have a relationship with others, so he made woman. So man and woman had a relationship. So there's a vertical relationship with God, horizontal with each other, and sin crushed those relationships. But in the midst of that, before sin came into the world, God used to communicate with man. He, he would talk with man. He would share with man. We know that he would walk with man in the garden. But when sin came, it damaged that relationship and God stopped. Now, that, the man, sin ended that relationship the way it should be, but God still communicated to us. He kept communicating. He kept making himself known. He communicated through Noah. He would communicate through Abraham. He would bring Moses to the scene, communicate through Moses. Moses would write down the expectations of God for his people. He kept communicating. But when you come to the end of Malachi, he's communicating, but there's something missing, something missing. And then you come, and there's Matthew and Mark, Luke and John. And all of a sudden, God is communicating perfectly, completely to us. He's communicated in Jesus. Literally, God communicates to man in Jesus. You know how some people use the word literally, but it's figuratively? <laughs> They'll say literally this. Like, no, that's not literal. You literally don't understand literal. <laughs> literally, literally, literally. Jesus is God communicating to us. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tells the story of that communication of his, of his, of his life, of his going to the cross. You come to Acts, the book of Acts is, is the people in the early church communicating the message of Jesus. You come to the letters. Paul wrote some. John wrote some. Peter wrote some. James wrote one. Jude wrote one. Somebody wrote Hebrews. Those letters communicate to us how we understand the teachings of Jesus and the message of Jesus, what it's supposed to look like. The book of Revelation communicates to us that despite all the persecutions, in the end, Christ will be victorious. He's already victorious. It's, it's the beauty of the New Testament. But not only does God communicate through his revelation, revelation means this. Revelation means that God is interested and involved in our life. He's interested in our life. He's involved in our life. So here's the thing. I've studied a lot of religions in my life. All other religions that you can look at, God or their gods, are never interested or involved in who we are. In fact, it's the opposite. They make themselves removed. It makes their religions make their, their gods and goddesses so distant you can't understand them. Or they, they, they make it so hard and so difficult. Uh, there's a lack of interest. Back last May, 
uh, I was preaching about Elijah in the second message. I was preaching from First um, Kings 18, the story of Mount Carmel. And, and there's, there's Elijah uh, with God, and then there's all the prophets of Baal and, and trying to get Baal to respond. They built this altar. There's this drought. They want rain to come. And so the prophets of Baal are just calling upon the God, you know, Baal. He's not listening. They're cutting themselves and slicing themselves and screaming and crying. And Elijah's just making fun of them. And here's what he's saying is, yell louder. Your God may be busy. Maybe your God doesn't care. And what he's saying is, your God is not interested. Now, the reason in their mind they create these gods and goddesses that aren't interested in their life or involved is because they aren't really gods and goddesses at all. They don't exist. And then God just, Elijah just looked at God and prayed and said, God, just be involved. And he sent fire and consumed everything. You see, our God cares. He's interested. And that's why Jesus came. And that's why the distinctiveness of our faith is so important. That's why revelation matters. Revelation is God speaking to us. That's, that's specific revelation. It's just the Bible and the New Testament. It's why it's important. It's why, it's why we hold it sacred that God is doing the speaking and not man. It's why the story of Jesus is so important. He's the only way to God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's, that's revelation. That's exclusiveness. How do I get to God? There's only one way. A sinful, torn world needs to know that. The book of Romans is powerful in leading people to Christ because it paints a picture of how to be able to be right with God after you've destroyed that relationship. And we live at a time when our culture, which is so disinterested in God, And so disconnected to God needs to hear the truth even more about the Christian faith. And what we're seeing is we're seeing our culture. And it's just every culture does this. From the beginning of Christianity, they all do this. They all try to find some way to to destroy the Christian faith, to, to eradicate it, to wipe it out, to prove it's not true, to get it to compromise. It happens all the time. And we see now our culture trying to tell, you know, Christianity, you know, you're, you, there's something wrong with you. you you're, you're exclusive. You can't possibly mean that there's no other way to God. And so we get condemned for believing there's only one way to God through Jesus. And we talk about the Bible being God's word. They say, but what about all these other holy books with good stuff in it? They're all important too. And, they, and the, the idea that it's only the Bible that speaks to, God speaks to us through, and it gets condemned. And the culture does that, trying, trying to, in essence, wipe out the effect and the, and, and the ability of Christianity to touch lives. And that's to be expected. Well, what's sad is that Christians are buying into that. Churches are buying into that. There are churches now where you can go. You can go. We find them here in Las Cruces, find them in El Paso, if they're open. I mean, these churches may not be open. But you can go there, and they're going to tell you that there's other ways to God. I know of so-called Christian churches that have actually read other books from other religious groups to read them alongside the Bible to say they have validity. They're destroying, they're diluting, they're trying to take away the uniqueness of the faith. And when that happens, Christianity becomes irrelevant. We become just like everything else. This is so important. And, and, and this, this service of all the services is the youngest. We have the most young people here. And so I really want you to hear what I'm about to say. Because I, I, I know I'm old to you. I, I mean, I get it. I, I have scars older than some of you. I got it. I feel it every morning. It's cold. Every morning I'm saying, Lord, why can't I take cortisone and just shoot it in every my joint, my knee, and my back and make me feel good? I get it. But sometimes with... White hair, gray hair, and a loss of hair, it's because there's been a long road behind. You cannot embrace the culture. You must influence the culture. It's a difference. If you try to embrace the culture, 
so that the culture will accept you. You are condemning that culture to hell. To hell. They're already there. You're taking away their only hope. If you change the gospel, if you change the faith, if you take Christianity and you corrupt it from what it is, it becomes unrecognizable and irrelevant in the world in which we live. If you don't believe that, study the modern church in Western Europe, the place where Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and Knox came from. Look at those countries, and Christianity is almost non-existent. The birthplace of the Reformation has been destroyed by accepting and adapting to the culture around them. Look at where the church is thriving and growing. China, Muslim countries in Africa, India, Korea, places where it's persecuted, places where the church to survive must oppose the culture. Love the people. Oh yeah, love them. But you can never embrace that culture. It will destroy your faith. God is involved by his standards. God interacts by his standard, not the standard of our culture. And if you don't get that right, your faith will be non-existent. God never honors a faith or a church. He never honors a faith or a church that embraces the culture. Only those that seek to influence it with the gospel. Revelation means this. It means that you have someone, Jesus, in some place, the Bible, to go to in order to make sense of it all. You have someone to go to and some place to go to. You have Jesus. You have the New Testament. Uh, Repeatedly, when people come and talk to me about other religions and other groups, that's two questions I ask. If you want to know whether something is truly Christian, what does it believe about the Bible? What does it believe about Jesus? Tells you everything you need to know. (laughs) Do they accept that the Bible is God revealing himself to us? Do they accept that Jesus is the only way to God? Do they accept the cross? And you're on the right track. If they deny any of those things, then, then they're wrong. They're, 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 they're off kilter. Life won't make sense. And this is the thing. We're talking about making sense of life. How are you going to make sense of life? God is the one who gives us life. God is the one who makes sense of it all. How are you going to make sense of life if you abandon the one who makes sense of it all? That makes no sense. That's just dumb. It's beyond dumb. It's evil. God wants us to know something about him. In all of our sin, in all of our rebellion, in all of our wickedness, Paul writes about it. He wants us to know him. So he sent Jesus so we could come to him. And life begins to make sense. It doesn't get easy. Our problems just don't magically go away. In fact, back in that day, when you trusted Christ, problems make it worse. I'm doing a huge study right now on the book of Revelation because I'm going to do some teaching from that down the line. And i got to re-get myself where it needs to be. John wrote that book to people who were being slaughtered only because 
they refused to worship the emperor and decided to worship Jesus. It's amazing. Life didn't get easier for them. But here's the beauty. Here's the beauty of it all. It's, it's so great. And despite all of that, everything makes sense when we come to the revelation of God. So, Christian, why wouldn't you spend, like, all the time you can studying that revelation? <laughs> why, why wouldn't you take advantage? You have, the, you have the New Testament in all its glory. Why would you not spend so much time reading and studying that to know as much about God as you could? And why would you not completely give your life to Jesus? Because you want to make sense of life. So here's the thing. God reveals himself to us in such a way that life makes sense in him. God reveals himself to us in such a way that life makes sense in him. Life does not make sense outside of God. It just doesn't. Life does not make sense outside of God. But inside of him, it makes so much sense. I mentioned at the beginning, things that don't make sense. I'll tell you something that doesn't make sense. If there is a God who is holy, and there is, and that holy God reveals himself to us, and he does, and the ultimate revelation of himself is in Jesus as he's revealed in the scriptures, then why would we not run to that Jesus and follow him completely so that our life would make sense? Some of you need to run to Jesus. Some of you watching online need to run to Christ. And you need to come and say, life doesn't make sense. I want it to make sense. And I'm going to give myself to you. Why would you not do that in just a minute? You can't. You can do it right now. You can just give your life to Christ. In our, in our invitation time, you can come and take one of us and talk to us. I want to give my life to Jesus. It, you know, ladies, if you'd rather talk to a woman, there should be a woman up here you can talk to. I just want to give my life to Jesus. Or maybe you just want to pray. You just want to pray that you begin to make sense of life. You, you're a follower of Christ, and you want to pray that you begin to make sense. And you need to come back to that revelation of God. And you begin to need to, know, you need to know it again and study it and make it alive because that's where God reveals himself. Maybe you want to join our church. I don't know. I don't, I don't really ever know what you need to do. I barely know what I need to do. But I do know this. Don't walk out of this place today without coming to the one who makes sense of life by revealing himself to you. So, Father, we thank you, and we love you for Jesus, because in all of our sin, in all of our failure, it's the only thing that makes sense. It's the only way life can have ever any meaning at all. It's through the holy God who reveals himself to us, and he reveals himself to us most completely and most perfectly in Jesus. So, God, let us come to Jesus, and let us honor you and glorify your holy name. Let us come to the one who reveals. And let us come and give you glory and honor. In Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand? We'll greet you.